episode of Martin Gerber of the Cost for Pointcast. I am your host, Trevor Shackles. If you missed it for some reason, since last episode, I became the Senator's writer at Hockey Buzz and had to leave Silver Seven Sens due to that. Uh, obviously, it was, it was a bittersweet move for me since, you know, SB Nation was a fantastic site. Uh, but it's an exciting opportunity for me to be the sole Senator's writer at Hockey Buzz. And moving forward, the Cost for Pointcast will be posted at Hockey Buzz instead. Um, but it'll be on iTunes and the like. Anyway, though, joining me today is creator of Natural Statric and is my former Silver Seven Sens colleague, Brad Timmons. Brad, how's it going? Pretty good, Trevor, and congratulations on the move. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's uh, I definitely, it's a, it was definitely a lot easier to uh, to write on Silver Seven Sens with the the nice editing template they had and stuff there. But you know, I can't really complain with the move. You know, I'm definitely glad to have you on today, and I'm su- honestly kind of surprised that not all of us have, you know, just shut down after everything that's happened the past few days. Not even the past few days, the past few weeks, past few months, past year, honestly. Yeah, just about. Yeah, um, but we can uh, we can just get into it right now. And, you know, when I first asked you to come on the Cosper Pointcast, I was hoping to do a bit of a draft preview, and, and we will get into the draft for a bit, but first of all, I think it would be strange to not kick it off with the Carlson and Hoffman story. So, you know, I won't get into the details because I'm sure people have heard it unless they've been living under a rock. Uh, but what are your overall thoughts on the alleged harassment by Hoffman's fiance? Uh, what a disaster. Uh, I mean, obviously it is still alleged, so we don't know all the details of what's gone on, what happened. Um, we know that harassment has happened. We were that, uh, you know, played that part played out in the public eye. Um, I think as far as the team goes, we have no idea when people know when people knew rather what was happening or when people knew who may have been involved. And that, uh, that makes for a messy situation to read from the public. It's, uh, messy terrible situation for the team to deal with and honestly i don't know how we can move how the team can move forward with both players still on the roster no totally and you know james duffy was on on uh, i think tsn radio earlier today and he was saying that reportedly um most of the team or if not the entire team have has actually known about this for a few months so if that's the case and you know they were playing um you know, if Hoffman and Carlson were playing with each other, knowing what Hoffman's fiance was saying to Melinda Carlson and and honestly and Eric Carlson as well, if everybody knew that, that just must have been incredibly uncomfortable in that dressing room. And you know, I'm sure this is honestly, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more um, about this entire situation, just about the dynamics um, in the room for the past couple months of the season. Oh, for sure. It definitely sounds like it was uh, a bit of an open secret within the within the team and the people around the team and the community. A lot of people who are around the team have known for at least at least since the end of the season. Where you know, Don Brennan reported that apparently Carlson confronted Hoffman in the parking lot. So I suppose to anybody around the team who didn't know before that, they certainly knew then. Right. And honestly, I, I think it's kind of uh, it's kind of ridiculous that we haven't heard about anything up until this point. That that must have been a pretty well kept secret. And I 
I believe I'm I'm forgetting the reporter's name. Um, but I believe the woman who broke the story. She's not even you know a sports reporter, if if I'm correct. I think she just national media. So I'm surprised that somebody like you know Gary Ock or Ken Warren or Wayne Scanlon or one of those guys didn't break this story. Yeah. Um, part of that maybe you know one of the comments from or several of the comments from some of the other players' wives and girlfriends and former players' wives and girlfriends mentioned, you know, that uh, Melinda wanted, would have preferred to kind of keep this quiet and keep this right out of, like, so it very well could have been, at least for the sports reporters, they could have known that and honored that request, where a reporter from outside the sports section may have uh, may have been more inclined to run with the story, especially once, you know, there were court filings and presumably those are public, so. Right, I guess it's the case where that reporter just necessarily doesn't really have a, I don't think she's going to be looking for f- further scoops from the senators per se, so, you know, if she burns that bridge, it's not really a huge deal, whereas I guess some of the other reporters have to worry about something like that. Um, now, with this situation, how do you think it affects Dorian's job? Like, do you think, because some people were saying comments like, oh, well, now nobody's going to want Hoffman. And I even saw some comment about, you know, Hoffman's going to have to be put on waivers, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. But what do you think that does for, you know, his trade value? Because like you said earlier, I think I think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to have to be traded it definitely hurts his trade value. I don't, I'm not sure how much, right? When you look at the stories in the past couple of days where multiple teams are interested in Slava Voinov, yeah, I think there's going to be teams interested in Mike Hoffman. They may not be willing to part with as much, knowing that, uh, you know, Pierre Dorian's a motivated seller on this one. That's uh, going to hurt some negotiating power. And there's definitely going to be a few teams that, may not be interested that were before I would expect. Um, the other thing is in the short term, I think it damages the trade value a lot more than it will in the long term. Yeah. The situation's still very fresh in terms of being out in, out in the public. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. If the situation plays out a little bit more and comes a little bit closer to a resolution, and we have a few more answers, I think his trade value might start to creep back up at that point. Just right. a fewer run. Right, and he mentioned the, the Slava Voinov thing too. And, you know, that was, when did he leave? Like three years ago, four years ago or something? You know, some people are so quick to forgive. And I think that's, I don't think he should ever be in the NHL ever again. He's, you know, a horrible human being for, for what he did. And, you know, people forget about that. And so I, I think even just a couple months of um, of time going by with, with this Hoffman story, I think people would sort of, uh, I don't know if you have to really forgive Hoffman, but just sort of forget about the entire situation and, and realize that, okay, yeah, he is a really good hockey player. And, you know, he probably isn't the greatest person just considering who he's with right now. I mean, I mm-hmm. I just don't understand if if this story is true and and I'm going to believe it is just because you actually have to bring evidence into court if you want to file 
um, this, uh, I forget what it, what's actually called, um, something about protection. If you have to go to court for this, you need some sort of evidence. So I'm going to believe Melinda on this. And the fact that he's still with her speaks to his character a bit. And, you know, I, th I think teams might be turned off by that a bit. But then again, it, you know, if you can score 30 goals, any team is going to want you, no matter how bad you are in the dressing room, honestly. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen that time and time again, right, where people with uh, questionable pasts have still gotten jobs in the NHL. Yeah, it's uh, – honestly, it some, stuff like this is going to repeat itself time and time again. And um, obviously this isn't I'm, – I'm hoping and I'm assuming this isn't directly from, Hoff, from Mike Hoffman – um, you know, I'm hoping it's more of the fiance's doing, but I think he's still guilty by association and, you know, just, just being there. And I would assume that he was aware of what was going on the entire time. Yeah. And even if he wasn't aware of the entire time, he was confronted about it at the end of the season. That's two months ago. Right. So even if she had been doing it completely behind his back up to that point, when you're confronted by one of your teammates about it, yeah, you're. if the wool's been pulled over your eyes, you're going to deny, deny, deny. But at the same point, you're probably going to mention something. And you might think back later and go, uh, there's a few signs, a few question marks here. Definitely. And I think Melinda said in court that there was – over a thousand messages um, directed at her. And I don't know if a thousand is exactly correct. You know, if it is, if that actually is true, if it is over a thousand, that is absolutely insane. But, you know, even if it's, even if it's just 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever, that's still an insane amount of, of harassment for, for something that is just, it's probably so petty. And um, it's just a horrible situation all around. And, you know, how do you think this makes the Carlsons feel? Like, how how do you think they're feeling um, these past six months? Uh, that's, that's tough to say, especially with... I, I think you're really talking two different time frames for them with this, right? For the first part of it, I, you know, I don't know how bad it was. I don't know the full details of the harassment, right? But for the first part of it, it may have been more of a nuisance than anything. But then when they lost their son, that then takes it to a whole nother level, right? And this continuing on after that, they're dealing with that grief. They're dealing with that loss. And then this person, whether it is Mike Hoffman's fiance or someone else, is just hammering away at them that's that makes a already very very difficult situation that much worse yeah honestly it is it is baffling that even if this isn't from monica or you know maybe if it's from a few people or something somebody out there actually said these messages you know whether whether it was her or not somebody is this vicious and this evil, you know, to say things about uh, a stillborn child. And I, my mind, I can't wrap my mind around it. And 
you know, my heart goes out to Melinda and Eric and, and their entire family. I mean, first of all, like just on the ice, it must have been incredibly hard for, for Eric this season. It, it was it was not fun for anybody and it, it was probably his the toughest season he said he's had to go through. But off the ice, I mean, just lo- losing a son is just I I can't speak from experience, obviously, but that just me that just must be, you know, one of the worst things you can imagine, and and I, I really feel for them, and I think the entire fan base does. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, I remember seeing that one message uh, in response to his announcement of losing Axel, and right. I yeah, when I read it, I was practically vibrating with rage over the fact that somebody would say these. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I just, like I said, I can't wrap my, wrap my head around it. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't understand how somebody can be so cruel. Um, I guess maybe the fact that it's online makes it a bit easier, but you know, she still had to think these things. She still had to take the time and think, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to send this. And she took the time to make these, anonymous anonymous accounts allegedly but you know at this point i i'd find it hard to believe that it that's you know all a lie so it wasn't just one account apparently it was it was many accounts on instagram and twitter so just though the entire situation is just very i don't know i guess unfortunate and and sad honestly yeah it really is yeah um okay so besides this harassment story it seems like there's just a never-ending stream of bad news around this organization, whether it's this or the Randy Lee story or Carlson potentially leaving or, or Melnick blaming fans, etc. You know, this, this past these past 12 months have probably been, I would say, the worst ever in franchise history, even even if we're accounting for the first few years. So Easily. Yeah. So how would you characterize the state that the Senators are in right now? Uh, it's a mess. It's a shamble, the disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and it's, it's everything that can go wrong is going wrong. Things that are in their control, they've botched things that are out of their control or very nominally in in their control have gone wrong. Like the, far, far from the worst thing that has happened in this past year, but the one that kind of sums up the whole thing was the recall of the onesies that were a choking hazard. <laughs> oh yeah. That is a great metaphor for the season. It's terrible to make a joke of children's <laughs> that could choke them, but, and it's, it's not really a joke either. And that's the sad thing, but it's kind of like, after all of, after everything that has happened in the past year, you kind of look at that one and go, yeah, that's, that's the way this season is gone. I mean, would you, I, I said on Twitter that they're the laughing stock of the league right now. And, and Ray Ferraro um, said the same thing yesterday or two days ago or whatever. Would you agree with that? Would you, would you put us right now? I, I shouldn't say us. That's a weird thing to say. Would you put Ottawa, um, you know, below, the teams like Buffalo and Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably would. I mean, just it it's just at least in terms of the past year, 
Absolutely. I don't think there's a single team that can compete in the past year with just how badly things have gone for the Ottawa Senators. I ran down, I was talking with a friend of mine who's not really a hockey fan, and I mentioned, you know, this has to be one of the worst seasons in professional sports history. Yeah, not even just hockey or Ottawa. Not hockey, not Ottawa, just worldwide professional sports. It has to be one of the worst seasons in history. And I ran down a bunch, like, I tried to run down everything that had happened, kind of in chronological order for him. And I got to the end, and I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot about um, Tom Anselmi leaving. I forgot about the onesie choking hazard i forgot about trading kyle turris you know who was so popular in the community not having a first round pick next year i'm listing off all these things at the end going oh yeah i forgot to mention all these things (laughs) on their own would have made a bad season yeah i mean there was a i don't know even rank yeah I don't know if you follow Ryan Classic on Twitter, but I think he had like a five tweet thread similar to what you did, I guess. And it was all the bad things that happened. So um, obviously it wasn't, you know, he didn't fill up 280 characters on each one, but he was just listing them in, in bullet with bullet points. And yeah, so he filled up five tweets from all those bad things. So that's probably, I don't know, at least 25 things that you can think of. And some are smaller than others, like the choking thing. That's, you know, it's not really... It's not really like Melnick's fault or something like that, but it's just it's just indicative of what, you know, the, the tire fire and the circus that they're in right now. Yeah, exactly. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And you know what? I bet you if we went and looked at those five tweets, guaranteed we would find things that he missed. Oh, totally. And, like, I don't know if you um, saw my tweet either yesterday, but it was a, it was a bingo card talking about, you know um, – if you're wondering what what else could go wrong this summer, there's I listed 25 uh, possible things that could happen. Um, some more re- realistic than others, you know, Stone asking for a trade, LeBreton deal falling through, uh, I don't know, Randy Lee getting promoted, stuff like that. Um, maybe yeah. the the SNES uh, jersey becoming the the full time jersey and stuff like that. You know, it just seems Thankfully, like too likely. Pardon? Thankfully, I don't think that last one is too likely. I, I, yeah, exactly. I, that one seems a bit more unlikely, but you know, it just seems like every day or every week there's, there's new bad news about, about the, the state of the organization. And, you know, it's not always Dorian or Melnick's fault, but uh, I mean, even this situation um, with, with Hoffman and Carlson, it's, I don't think there's necessarily a lot he could have done, but mm-hmm. in the end he probably should have traded Hoffman before the deadline. It really it depends on for that for how much blame the management takes on this latest one. I think it really depends on when they found out. Yeah. Right. So we they've known since at least the end of the season. Well, you're not trading them in the middle of the playoffs. That trade is not going to happen at that time. Um, and if you notice, almost immediately after the cup was awarded those Hoffman trade rumors came back and they came back very strong right away. If they've known since 
you know, late January, early February, that's a completely different ballgame. You know what? I wouldn't even be surprised if they knew around December because that that was when the point that was the point when those Hoffman and even some slight Carlson rumors were coming out as well. So mm-hmm. there was always some murmurs about Hoffman being bad in the room and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if um you know, I don't obviously Monica didn't say that the worst um Instagram comment she said that in March, but probably in December there was already stuff said so I'm sure there was already some some bad blood in the dressing room there so I'm sure Doran was at least that was at least on his mind and you know I'm hoping that's why he was shopping him and not because you know of his performance on the ice or something like that Mm, yeah bad defensively right yep (laughs) all the coaches hate him yeah I yeah I just don't know how much to put put them on that because we really don't know when different people found out. Like we have no idea when Eric and Melinda, you know, came up with the suspect on this. We don't know if that was, uh, you know, um, his response to the tweet or Instagram post in March. In one hand, it kind of sounds like it's still, they don't know who it is. But you can kind of also look at it in another way and read it another way and go, oh, yeah, they know. So it's really hard to say, right? So we don't know when they found out. We don't know when other people found out. I mean, this was being done, or at least attempting to be done anonymously. So there is some some time to figure out who's behind it. Right. And in, in that post, Carlson did say something like, you have been harassing us for months or something, and like, and you've been making mm-hmm. fake accounts. So I I do think... He knew at that point, even if he didn't have definitive proof that it was her. But I guess they just yeah. kind of, you know, had a hunch. Yeah, it's quite possible. And that's just it. We have no idea when the different people involved, the different people who could have been involved found out. So other than we know, everybody has known since at least the end of the season. Right, for sure. Um, now, one interesting thing about this circus that's going on around us is the fact that you know local media like ken warren wayne scanlon um james duthie on the radio today they're calling out the senator's organization and calling it a massive tire fire and you know those guys aren't i wouldn't put them in the same category as bruce garriock you know garriock is always you know he has his ties to to the team and he doesn't want to burn any bridges so he's not going to be overly critical of the team but you know warren and scanlon like they're not they're usually not like, you know, these pessimists or something like that. So I think it was really interesting to see them go all out on, on the senators. And also I think um, uh, Chris Stevenson as well at the athletic said something about that as well. So I think, yeah, you know, the fact that everybody is speaking out about this just shows that it's not even just, Oh, like typical negative senators fans going off, um, you know, spewing their hate or whatever. It's everybody is realizing you know how much, you know how much of a joke this team is right now, and and they're honestly wondering if the league is going to have to step in, um, and essentially force Melnick to sell. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, the likes of Warren and Chris Stevenson. I think the big one was when Don Brennan started dropping bombs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. That that's the one that kind of surprised me the most. 
and uh yeah when all the media i wouldn't i wouldn't quite say they're turning on the senators that might be a little strong but they're definitely not uh definitely definitely not pulling their punches definitely not would you if garyock quote-unquote turns and you know talks about how how much of a mess the the organization is right now what would you what would you take from that if that happened oh it's over <laughs> yeah that's what i kind of think too like like you meaning melnick's gone yeah i mean it's probably melnick's gone but it's at the point where something is happening you know we're looking at the kind of um I wouldn't quite compare it to 2003 and the bankruptcy in Ottawa. I think it's a lot more toxic and messy than that. It's <laughs> definitely, in, in 2003, it was money, right? It was all about the finances, nothing else. It was just they did not have the funds to pay yeah. the staff, the players, anything, right? They were broke. Um, the, now... You know, all there's all the rumors about the finances, and there's enough smoke there that there's probably some fire. But then all of the stuff, well, not all of it, but a good chunk of the stuff that has been happening in the past year, it's toxic. It, it goes way beyond, you know, a missed paycheck. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the comparison might be closer to, I don't remember his name, but the owner in Dallas, where the league had to step in during his divorce. Right. Yeah. Well, the owner now is Gillardy, right? I can't remember the previous. Yeah. Yeah. It was the previous owner and I'm, I'm looking on his name right now, but the league had to step in and was basically running the team's finances for a year. Mm -hmm. well, he still owned it and was going through the divorce. So, or stepping in when, uh, I, I think that's probably the most toxic situation that the league has dealt with prior to this at least that i can think of well there's arizona too uh, yeah that was messy that was i don't think it was nearly as again no that seemed to be more about the money right yeah like there are some deep financialists maybe um maybe atlanta where the ownership just had no interest in having the hockey team and you know there were rumors about all kinds of infighting within the ownership group that might have been the only other one that was uh, approaching this on how bad the situation was beyond just the financing. Right. And I think at this point, would you agree that the only thing that's going to change this, this organization's fortunes, you know, in the next five, 10, even 20 years is going to be an ownership change? Yeah, I've got a hard time, really hard time thinking anything else. I mean, maybe there's a slim possibility that things could turn around under Melnick's ownership. But I think that would require the kind of self-examination that I don't think he has it in him. Yeah. Well, and I think it's tough too when like, you know, he's just, the organization just doesn't really hire people and, you know, maybe they hire a few, but then they also let go of you. So they're, they've been losing staff over the past you know, maybe five to eight years or so. 
and they just haven't replaced them with enough quality people. So you're, you end up with an organization that has people that are overworking, you know, they're, they're doing three jobs and just getting paid for one. You know, Pierre Doran really has, he probably does the most things out of any GMs just because his, his front office is so small. So, you know, when you have an organization like that, I don't know how you can properly run it. And I just don't think Melnick is going to be able to see that. And I just, I just honestly don't see a light at the end of the tunnel under his ownership. And I, you know, once, once there is a new owner here and Ottawa gets a rink at LeBreton, then I think, you know, we can be, begin to have some hope. But in the meantime, it's just, it's crazy how far this team has fallen in the past year. Yeah, it really is. I mean, double overtime, one goal away from making it to the finals, and Chris Kunitz. Yeah, and now this, right? It's yeah, it's a disaster. I I really don't see. Like I say, the only way it could significantly change under Melnick's ownership is if Melnick changes, and yeah. I don't he's it in him. Yeah, that's a fair point. Now, let's shift to something more optimistic and pretend like everything's okay, and that's the draft. Um, so the Sens have the fourth overall pick, which is their highest since they took Jason Spezza. Uh, who do you think they'll end up taking, and who is a realistic target that, you, that you'd like to see them get? Um, I think the most likely is the Chuck. Uh, I would really love it if uh, Zadina fell to them, though. Mm-hmm. That would be absolutely fantastic. But I, th- I think the most likely is, is Brady to check. Okay. I, you know, I'm kind of, I had always hoped that Zadina was going to fall to four. And now I'm just expecting it, honestly, just because of what Zadina actually said to the media. I can't remember who specifically, but he said this a couple weeks ago that uh, Montreal or he got the sense that Montreal was going to be looking more at, at either a defenseman or a center. So I could see them kind of going off the board and taking someone like Quinn Hughes or the Finn, uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, or maybe even Oliver Wallstrom. Um, so I could see them taking one of those guys. And I'm honestly just kind of expecting them to get Zadina at this point, because I, I do think they would love to have Kachuk, but I, doubt they would pass up on Zadina just to take him. Um, I think it'd be hard to to not take Zadina at four. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm hoping that happens. But then again, knowing our luck this season, I just, I don't know, it could all fall apart. Yeah, it could. Who knows who Montreal is going to take. Um, I, better be, uh, I better be careful on this one. Um, <laughs> the one, one thought I have, and... I have no idea if this is even within the realm of possibility. I have no idea if they'd be interested. I have no idea if there's enough value in it. But do you think Carolina would be interested in swapping picks if Mike Hoffman was thrown in? Ooh. Now, you you would want to do that because you really want Sveshnikov? And it gets Mike Hoffman off the roster. Hmm. Yeah. That, th- would... that is an awful lot to give up though from the senator's perspective. 
maybe you pick up a, a later round pick right come as well right you know just to try and balance it off but when we're talking about you know we don't know how much value mike hoffman has on the trade market right now and i think you're never going to get carlson to sign a contract <laughs> an extension if mike hoffman is still on the team even if there is the promise of him being traded before the season starts kind of thing yeah you know you want to you, you want to move on from this. As, as the team, you need to move on from it. So you're going to try and trade Mike Hoffman at the draft. You know, moving up might be the best value you're going to get. Maybe. I mean, I Svechnikov is incredible. I think he's going to be a really good goal scorer. But at the same time, I mean, I, I'd be pretty happy with, with getting Zadina. That's not obviously a guarantee if they pick at four. Um, but... I think, I don't know. See, I wonder if Edmonton would be willing up to give the 10th for him because he had those rumors had been floated about in the past. Um, I don't know if Edmonton would want to give up that much. But at the same time, I mean, Hoffman's a 60-point player. So, I mean, really, yeah. giving up the 10th wouldn't be, on a value-for-value value value basis, um, it isn't actually that much. But I think I think at this stage, Ottawa would take that. Um, I just wonder if Shirelli would take that, though. Yeah, who knows? Uh, like I say, you know, I really, I. Who knows what Mike Hoffman's value is right now? Who knows what teams still place value in him and what they've got to offer? You know, I mentioned, you know, could you trade up, use him to trade up with Carolina? Would Carolina even be interested in? And they were talking about adding, you know, size and grit. That's not Mike Hoffman. Right. <laughs> not at all. Now, what about um, – this isn't really the Senator's MO, so I can't really envision it happening. But what are your thoughts on moving down in the draft to get an extra pick? I think it depends on – well, obviously it depends on who's still available, right? Like I yeah. don't think you're pulling – you're not pulling the trigger on that one, you know, before the draft starts unless it's a offer you just can't refuse. Um but then I think you also need to balance that. What are you getting back from trading down? And uh, would you maybe just be better off letting Colorado have to pick at that point, right? If you're just going to pick seventh or eighth and move down, maybe let Colorado have the fourth pick next year and keep your pick for next year. Right. Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, <laughs> you know, at this point, if – if they really are going to move Carlson and Hoffman, which I'm, I'm betting happens this summer, if they're going to do that, honestly, like might as well just tear everything down. And it would be really tough giving up this year's fourth overall pick. But I mean, it, it could happen because I think they have, do they, do you know if they have until they actually make the pick or do they have to decide like before the first pick is made? Um, I believe they've got basically until they get onto stage. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, if they know... Kind of thing, like it might be they've got until they're officially on the clock or until right. they get up there and, <laughs> you know, name a name. Yeah. But it's somewhere in the range. They can definitely wait to see who gets picked third before they decide if they're keeping the fourth pick or not. Right, so I mean, 
that could be an interesting scenario if, say, Zadina goes third, and then it's like, well, okay, do we either want Brady Kachuk or do we want a, you know, 10% or 18% or whatever shot at Jack Hughes next year? Um, Because, you know, even if uh, they would have to finish dead last just to guarantee a top four pick next year, and even if, um, you know, there's no guarantees that they're even going to be picking in the top five. I mean, they could luck their way into finishing, you know, 23rd or 24th or something like that. So, you know, even if they are absolutely horrendous, it would still be very risky giving up this year's pick. But then again, it's just, man, like next year is going to be incredibly depressing if we don't have that pick because then it's just, there's no, I mean, they're not going to make the playoffs and then there's just, there's just no hope for that draft. So I don't know if they can find a way to maybe reacquire that pick from Colorado, but that might cost a King's ransom. Maybe uh, Mike Hoffman or an Eric Carlson. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I looked at the numbers on this, and right, if they finish dead last, they still have a better chance of ending up with the fourth overall pick than ending up with a higher pick, right? It's yeah. a 50.0% chance that they'd end up with the fourth pick if if they finish dead last. If they finish just, if we're assuming, okay, they're going to be probably a bottom five team they've got a much better chance of having a lower pick than having a higher pick. So, I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, maybe if you're looking at this, you know, it's the same idea as kind of trading, trading down, you get to your pick. It's, you know, the third pick goes and say it's the Dina and you're going, okay, well, the next, five picks they're all a cohort and they're all at a similar level if we can trade from four to eight and still get a player that we're going to rank pretty much the same why don't we do it well maybe you think about letting colorado have that pick for just the same reason where you're looking at it and going well we're looking at this season going the fourth pick is roughly equivalent to the eighth pick as far as we're concerned right maybe next year it isn't Right, and that's an interesting point too because obviously not every draft is going to be the same. Um, you know, getting Nail Yakupov first overall is quite a bit different than getting uh, Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews first overall. So I think, I mean, I, ha- I haven't looked obviously at all into next year's draft besides Jack Hughes, but yeah, I think Ottawa would have maybe a decent sense if they know if that draft next year is any good. Um, and also... You know, there are three teams in the top 10 that also have a later first-round pick. I believe it was Chicago, Detroit, and the Rangers. So, you know, there's a chance. Maybe if Zadina isn't taken in the top three, you know, one of those three teams might want to jump on that and might give up either a late first-rounder or an early second-rounder. So um, I would at least look into that. And then in terms of the fourth overall, what what would you actually do at this point, or is it dependent on who goes in the draft? I would probably keep it, even yeah. if, uh, like I said, I'm, if Zadine is still there, I'm taking him hands down, no questioning it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if he isn't, I think I would probably keep it. You're better off with, you know, a bird in hand, so to speak, right? And th- on. 
getting a better pick next year where the odds are already against you having a higher pick <laughs> and you know there's no guarantee you're finishing dead last like look at look at this year right and look at the teams that all ended up at the bottom of the standings look at the bottom five teams how many of those five teams would you have expected to be in the bottom five this year and how many teams that you would have expected to be in the bottom five weren't you know everybody expected new jersey to be a disaster this year and they made the playoffs mm-hmm. you know no expected buffalo to be a strong team but they looked like they were on an upward trend and might be pushing onto the bubble and they finished up yeah you know that's that's a good point um i think for me i would probably end up keeping the fourth pick i think it's more of like a my brain is telling me that i not that it's actually my decision but my brain would tell me that i should keep it but my heart would be saying to give it up just because I really would love to have a player like Jack Hughes. Um, but, you know, the odds are, are very slim th- that they would actually get him. And I think it's just, I'm more thinking about, you know, how miserable next season is going to be without that pick. But you're right. I think it's probably the smart move to keep it for this year. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I wouldn't necessarily rule it out, um, especially if, you know, Carlson and or Hoffman is traded on draft day. That that might uh, change things for Dorian. Yeah, it might. And like you say, it always depends on what you're offering. If one of those other teams really, really wants to move up to fourth, you know, they might make you an offer that you just can't refuse. Right. And I would I would love that, honestly, just because they don't have that many draft picks and they haven't really had that many over the past few years. So, um, if they can get started on that, I guess, quote-unquote, rebuild process, then I'm all for that. Um, now, if you had to guess what was going to happen this summer, what are some of the main things that are on your mind? Well, I mean, the obvious one is the Carlson yeah. situation, right? Um, I, Unless this recent news has changed things enough, that uh, it is very clear Carlson is not going to be staying in Ottawa, will not be signing a contract, then I think they are going to stick to what they said at the town hall, and he will not be traded at the draft. <laughs> Just for one and day. They will. And they, I, I think they will be offering him a con- Like I say, unless things have changed drastically because of this, I think they will be offering him a contract on July 1st, whether it's, a good contract or not i'm not 100 <laughs> percent sure uh what do you mean one million dollars isn't enough <laughs> exactly whether it's one that he would be you know if a decent contract but not one he would be willing to accept i don't know um but i think that that's that's really the thing that's kind of framing everything for this team right now in terms of what they do going forward for the roster is what's happening with Carlson. And then after that, you've got Stone and Duchesne. I would not be surprised to see Stone file for arbitration, whether he makes it to arbitration or not. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Uh, You know, players rarely do, but then Ottawa has had a couple go to arbitration in the past few years, which is really unusual and really rare in the NHL. Yeah, I I definitely could see those a few of those things happening. 
I honestly also am thinking that both Hoffman and Carlson are going to get moved. And I could see them signing maybe some, you know, middling free agents to replace those players and try to get some semblance of a decent roster and try to push that, you know, that narrative that they can get back to the playoffs and, you know, just do that so that they can have maybe respectable attendance numbers this year. Yeah, they could. And I mean, they've got no motivation to stay. If they keep their pick this year, they've got no motivation to stay low in the rankings. Yeah. Right? And that's, so they're gonna, yeah. They're going to push to at least have some success, whether they're genuinely pushing for the playoffs or just pushing to be, you know, out of the bottom five. So they can say, see, we're making some progress. I think they're, they're definitely going to try to ice a better team. Uh, or ice a team that performs better next year than they did this year. Right. And I think they don't have that excuse of not having the money. If Carlson and Hoffman are gone, I mean, that's going to be what at least well, like 11 and a half million off the books. So yeah, they got some money to spend and um, you know, maybe <laughs> this isn't going to happen, but you know, get creative off offer uh you know, John Tavera's one year, $11 million or something. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'd have to really prepay him because if he's, oh, yeah. uh, if he's looking to get out, out of, <laughs> uh, off the island, he's not going to be looking at Ottawa going, hey, this is an improvement. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh. yeah. Although I think, I, you know, the first offseason question, while Carlson's definitely the biggest one, and then Stone is the next biggest one after that. I think the big, uh, the first question, you know, before we even get to the draft is the buyout window opens at midnight. Oh, right. I might have something to write about there. Do you, do you think, do you think anyone's actually going to get bought out? If it's going to happen any year, it's going to happen this year. Hmm. I have a hard time. I would, I'd probably put the prime candidate for that to be Gabrick. And Burroughs, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I can't see them keeping both of those guys around. But when was the last time? I think, wasn't Bobby Butler the last buyout they had? And he was like under a million dollars? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so. just, I don't know. I, they do it so infrequently. I mean, they refuse to do it with, um, you know, Jared Cowan and Colin Greening and, and all those guys. So, um, I don't, I'd still be surprised if it happened, but yeah, I guess, I guess we got a few hours to go here. And, uh, well, I guess when this, when people are listening to this, the, we might know already, um, but yeah. we're recording Thursday night. So, yeah. Yeah. Why are you wondering if these players are bought out? They already <laughs> yeah. were. Yeah, true. They're probably wondering why we're not talking about it this episode, but... <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and, you know, Gabrick has three years left, and that's a long time to carry that uh, <laughs> that cap hit but then, and, and that money, but then, like you say, if Hoffman and Carlson are off the books and we're looking at a three- to five-year rebuild, why are you buying them out and stretching that out over six years into where you expect to be competitive? Right. Stuck up the three years. 
Yeah, and that's also why it grinds my gears when I hear rumors about Bobby Ryan being included with Eric Carlson because, you know, it's it's not like they're going to be using the the Ryan money to get good next year because, um, you know, they're already losing Carlson, so they're going to be garbage anyway. So it's not like they're going to use that money to go sign John Tavares or something. So, um, you know, if they actually did get rid of Ryan, it would purely just to save Melnick some money. Yeah. 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 And I think kind of look at the buyouts in that way, in that uh, if there are some buyouts, if they buy out Marion Gabrick, if they buy out Alex Burroughs, it's probably to use that cap space, to use that money for something. And that tells us something about just how fast they are expecting to turn things around, right? You don't buy out Alex Burroughs this year if you don't plan on using that money this year. <laughs> true yeah it's uh it's a sad state of affairs right now but you know what um brad i think we can we can wrap it up there but before we go any parting words for sens fans who have probably seen some better days that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh... Part of me wants to say, do what you've got to do. If you have to, you know, put your fandom on hold (laughs) for your own health, do it. Uh, But then part of me also wants to say, you know, better days will come again. Right. Right. It's not going to be, the team can only stay like this. The situation can only stay like this for so long before things absolutely collapse and something changes right so right i will say you know you do you you know if you got to quit the sense fine just uh you know keep listening to the cost per point cast read hockeybuzz.com read silver help us out and uh yeah <laughs> anyway though um thanks for coming on brad that was i mean it was fun talking to you but it was still a depressing conversation <laughs> Yeah, hopefully hopefully there are much happier conversations in our future. I hope so. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and you can rate and review in those places as well. I'll be doing a draft recap and free agency recap at some point, so be sure to subscribe to get those episodes right away. You can also follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read my articles at HockeyBuzz.com. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, let me know. That's all for me. Adios.